There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Watched the match with, with the Queen Bee last night. She, she rarely, if ever, watches football, sport of any kind, to put it mildly but she, she joined me midway through extra time and she said when is it over I said well it's not over yet because they're in extra time and it's still one more oh good she said penalties I love penalties she would prefer to have decided the whole thing on a penalty shootout yeah for me and I'm just throwing this out there for what it's worth and you can agree or disagree with me I, you know me I don't care I thought the tennis was more entertaining. I watched Ash Barty win on Saturday and I watched Djokovic win yesterday and I thought the two tennis finals were of far more entertainment value. I just found I was jumping out of my seat a bit more. I thought yesterday afternoon when that Italian lad was putting it up to Djokovic in the first set, I really thought I'd hop out of my chair a couple of times. Didn't happen during the match, but sure, you know yourself. You know yourself. Congratulations to any of the Italian nation who are with us in the city and county and listening this morning there probably isn't a a clear head in the city or county a clear Italian head and why would there be why would there be good morning to you all and uh, congratulations and uh, to um, to England supporters hard luck I was kind of I was kind of saying you know what there are our nearest neighbours and we follow their teams at the weekend and why wouldn't you lend them a bit of support and then you see what went on outside the stadium and you see what went on in the streets before the match and then you hear of what was done on social media to the three lads who were unlucky in the penalties and you kind of think, you kind of wonder why you, you realise why it is that no one supports them at the end of the day. How's ever? 1857 Let us find out what is going to happen today with regard to news on indoor dining. There would appear to be a piece of legislation drawn up. There would appear to be a plan on the table. It requires a cabinet meeting 
to take it to the next level. Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun, joins me again. Adam, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Within touching distance, that's how the Restaurants Association are describing it. They are almost open and, and a long wait it's been for them. And are they happy? They are, to be honest. Yeah, well, from, from the associations, the, the main uh, hospitality associations in the, the LVA, the VFI and the Restaurants Association are happy, to be honest, just to get open. Now, they all confess that this will have problems in, in running this sort of vaccine pass that, uh, that they're looking at reopening. But I think it's been such a long time for all these businesses to close that they probably would have opened with whatever restrictions they, they needed. So what's on the table, Adam? So what we're looking at is a a vaccine pass or something similar to what the EU Digital Green Cert, um, which is actually coming in the post to those who are vaccinated today or in their emails, uh, depending on which way they got their vaccine. And so what's going to happen is you'll get a QR code on that vaccine pass, uh, whether it's printed or digital, both same QR code. And you'll be able to go to... um, a restaurant or a pub, and if you want to sit inside, you'll show them, present them with this QR code. All the restaurants and, and bars will have an app uh, on their phones that they can use to scan that QR code, and once they scan it, up comes the customer's uh, vaccination history, and if they're fully vaccinated and good to go, then in they come, and that's how it'll work. Of course, by definition, you probably won't have the QR code unless you are fully vaccinated. That's exactly right, and you'll also get a QR code um, if you are recovered from COVID-19 over the past nine months. So that one's going to still be a few questions about how that one is going to work. We were told last week that a call centre would be set up by the government that would link in with the HSC so that if you had recovered from the virus in the past nine months, you could call this call centre say, I want to get my um, QR code so that I can go into a restaurant or a pub and they would sort it out. But as of now, that call centre is still not up and running. Well, among the, the, the problems that listeners had with this idea last week, Adam, was, well, what about families on holiday where the kids aren't vaccinated? Has that been sorted out? It has, yes. Over the weekend, there was a couple of changes made so that the rules will not apply to those under 18 as long as they're accompanied by um, fully vaccinated adults. So if you are two vaccinated parents bringing your two unvaccinated kids to the restaurant for dinner, then 100% you can go in no problem and that's how it's going to work. And the, interestingly, yesterday we saw that a statement came out um, saying that these uh, vaccine pass rules will be extended to tourists coming into Ireland so that they can also avail of their... Uh, of this vaccine pass and eat indoors. So, so fully vaccinated tourists from EU, from Britain, from America, they will be able to get indoors, yeah? Yes, 100%. And as far as I understand it, uh, fully vaccinated people from anywhere in the world, as long as they have this uh, QR code. Now, the questions that arose was, because this is an EU digital pass, how could they get that? that QR code. So what's going to happen for the likes of the United Kingdom and the US, they'll have to just prove that they were vaccinated. So in the UK, you get a small little card, something similar to what you've been given here um, that that shows you're vaccinated and that's what you'll use to prove that you can Mm. get into a restaurant. There'll be an amount of good faith going on there, won't there? So just to say, you know, in case people would be trying to, to forge forge these things. Have they gotten over all of the GDPR concerns they had? Just on the on the forgery question, um, there is one of the rules that I understand is being brought in today as part of this uh, legislation is that it will make it an offence 
to try and forge a vaccine pass. So that'll be a criminal offence. Now, what, what, how that's punishable or who's going to check up on that is yet to be confirmed, but that's something that will, will be interesting to see how that's going to be played out. When it comes to the GDPR, the... The situation there is a bit um, unclear because there has been several groups and indeed some of the opposition parties raising civil liberty questions about this. How can we exclude a certain sector of society just because they haven't had the vaccine? For example, young people who, who haven't even been offered the vaccine yet, how will they be able to avail of it or will they have to work in a restaurant at the same time they can't eat in the restaurant? And all these questions, to be honest, are still there. But the government is keen to say that, look, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have everybody offered a vaccine so that question won't arise but there's still a certain amount of people in Ireland who won't want to get the vaccine for whatever reason they want um, then people as far as we can see are going to be excluded from this because there's not going to be any PCR testing option immediately now there was rumours over the weekend that antigen testing would play a bigger role in reopening uh hospitality sector in the future but that system is nowhere near ready so you'll be months down the line before that that's even considered yeah. The time limit is back, Adam. I thought that was gone, but it's back. One one hour forty-five. Like what are they basing that on? That that's something that the industry are disappointed to still see in there. And um, as far as we know, I, I was making questions and queries over this at the weekend and there was kind of mixed uh, uh, answers about why this is still in there and whether it actually could still be in there because we this this we'll get a good side of this now later on when it comes after it comes before cabinet and then when it uh, comes before the doll later on this week in the Shannon as well. So the reasons before that they had this 145 hour limit was because the scientists said that after two hours everybody in the room would become a close contact and that sort of thing. Now whether this is something there to protect staff or what reason they're bringing in this, reintroducing this 145 I dreaded a lot of people didn't like it and also because your dinner was stuck in your chest quite simply <laughs> that's it that's along the truth with, of it along with that 145 they're still talking about keeping a one metre distance between tables and one of the things that in the initial meeting with the hospitality sector one of the things the government were keen to point out about this vaccine pass rule is that if we get this in you'll be able to open fully no capacity limits so that's something that I know the industry aren't happy with but it's teething problems and maybe it'll be unwound as more and more people get vaccinated. Okay. Finally, Adam, what is the timeline now? I know the cabinet don't normally meet on a Monday, but they're having effectively a Zoom meeting today and then their proper meeting tomorrow. But we don't have to have the committee and we don't have to go back to Neffet. So at least that speeds that up. It does, it does. This is very much a, a last-minute scramble to get this legislation on the books and over the line. So what will happen today is a, a very... Um, short meeting as you say on zoom with the cabinet who will again meet tomorrow after this but they need to meet this today so that the officials in the oroctus can drop the bill so that it can go before the doll later this week so we're going to probably see the doll once the doll, the doll sits tuesday wednesday thursday and um, the bill will come one of those days pass through there with the government's support and then it'll go to the shannon on a friday and once it passes through the shannon it has to be sent to um 
President Michael D. Higgins to sign off on. He'll either sign off on that probably early next week, Monday or Tuesday. And once he signs off immediately, they can reopen. So you're probably looking at some stage next week, either, I would say, the second half of the week, Wednesday, Thursday or Friday. All right, Adam, we'll keep in touch if there's any changes with this. Thank you as always, Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun. So it's happening. You can approve or disapprove. You can like it or you can not like it. You can call it what you want. Please don't use that horrible A word, because if you do, it's insulting to anybody who suffered from real A, and I'm not even going to say it on the air. You can like it or dislike it, but it's happening. And it'll happen probably before the end of next week. People not happy about that one hour and 45, and they're saying, what's the science there? And look, there probably is some science, but we thought we were rid of it. If everybody in the room is vaccinated, then why do you need it? People are going to ask those questions forever. But at least it's going to happen. And by the end of next week, by the end of next week, by the 23rd to 24th of July, uh, you'll be able to have a point inside the pub. 1850-715-996. Something that won't be able to happen, though, is your children going to a summer camp. Uh, Michal Martin was, when his party's vote was collapsing around his ears at the by-election on Friday... Michal Martin was 160 miles away getting his second AstraZeneca vaccination down at Parky Cueve. And as would normally happen in a situation like that, he would have a few words for the waiting media. And the subject of summer camps came up and people are less than happy. We'll talk about that next. 1850 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Cork's 96FM's Be Kind to Your Mind with GP, author and wellness expert, Dr. Mark Rowe. I would encourage just those small little things that make you feel good. Getting some exercise and movement. Exercise, I call it the greatest pill of all because what it does is when you choose to get up and move, you dampen down stress hormones in your brain. You bring on what I call the biochemical cocktail of brilliance. Serotonin, oxytocin, noradrenaline, all those positivity chemicals all moving around in your brain, enabling you to feel more positive, feel more creative and simply to enable you to feel more energized and I believe exercise and movement is for everyone not just when you're 14 but when you're 94 years of age as well Helping you through COVID. Helping you through COVID. Cork's 96 FM The Neffet advice was strong in terms of indoor um, activities generally um, and it's because of the Delta variant and one only has to look at Scotland, one only has to look at the United Kingdom and indeed across Europe now increasingly um, at the spread of the Delta variant um, so, as I said earlier, we want to protect the progress we've made to date. Uh, we now look at it sector by sector, and uh, obviously there will be other areas that are indoor are going to come at us. Uh, but we're doing this to protect society, protect the progress and the gains um, that we have made. Um, and that's the only mot- that is the only motivation. We, know, we do understand it, it, ups- it can cause difficulties and significant disappointments for people. That I understand fully. But it, the motivation is a very clear one to protect people. And protect our and protect our, our, our hospitals, in, in particular. Um, we do not want to see. At the moment, hospitals are very busy across the country, and, and the, the view is from the health services that many people who maybe might have postponed um, elective uh, uh, procedures or diagnostics 
uh, are availing of the services, it's good that the hospitals are dealing predominantly now with non-COVID um, um, issues. Uh, we want that to continue. We want to restore non-COVID health services, um, and the Delta variant could damage that in time if the volume of cases go very high, uh, and they will go higher uh, in, in the coming days and weeks. So indoor summer camps gone for the kids. Fiona, not happy. Good morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What? You're, you're affected directly. Yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I think we're all, uh, the whole country is in a bit of shock over this kind of throwaway announcement that Mial Martin made on Friday, to be honest. Like, I didn't even actually hear about it, and I've seen other people running summer camps saying that they had no idea that they heard, heard it through the news or read it in the newspaper. I read it in the Irish Times as well, um, a kind of a summary of it that... Um, that they, they know these summer camps now have to go around and contact all these families and tell them that the summer camps have been cancelled because of one comment made on Friday by Michal Martin, as far as I understand. So uh, my daughter was supposed to be doing star camp next week and the last email that I got from them was saying, we can't wait to see you. And they, they put in a lovely paragraph at the end saying this has been a challenging and confusing period for everyone children included, and getting life back to some form of normality is a huge benefit, and we're really excited looking, and looking forward to bringing some much-deserved laughter back to your children's lives, and that's about sums up how disappointed I am mm. now that the summer mm. camps... Is it just, you know? just indoor ones or indoor and yeah. outdoor, Con? No, just indoor. But but this is the thing, like, this, uh, you know, I mean, look at our beautiful country. Like, I mean, cool camp is still going ahead, as far as I understand, fingers crossed. Mm. Um, uh, and outdoors, uh, outdoor camps. But like PJ, you know, like what our weather is like. Does that mean that children have to stay outside all the time for mm. the outdoor ones? You know, but um, star camp can't. I don't think it could happen outside. Like they, explain they, for they, people who wouldn't know what it is, Fiona. What is star? Yeah, camp? sorry. So star camp is it's musical theatre for kids basically, and. Um, my in my experience, Maureen, uh, my daughter Maureen was there two years ago, and she went to two. She loved it so much. She went to one in Middleton and one in Tarrytool, and um, it's you know they have to use amps and they have to use you know sound and electricity and amps and sound desks and everything. So I don't think it can go outside. What do you think? Mm. Well, you, you probably you could you could take some of the equipment outside, but the problem is the minute the sky starts to darken, you're whipping it in again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and you know they've got community halls booked and stuff like that. Like I, you know, not all community halls would have fields next door that you could use as well. You know, mm. and and aside from that as well, you're also talking about people who have invested a lot of money in advertising, a lot of money in into you know, hiring other mm. kids, other people to, to work for them, to do this camp and stuff like that. I, I'm just, I'm absolutely I suppose, Fiona, a, a public, public a health concern is public health concern. I know, but on a Friday, you know, on a Friday before, like, you know, in the middle of the summer. Before they start, PJ, yeah, yeah, yeah. PJ, you know, like the other thing is like, I mean, I don't know what you think, but I, you know, wherever I'm going, the traffic is unbelievably heavy. Every every beauty spot in the country seems to be mobbed. I don't think anyone's social distancing anymore. <laughs> and last night, when I when I was, to be honest with you, last night was kind of when when it hit home to me that 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 the the, the indoor summer camps won't be happening. 
And we were watching the Euros and yeah. Italy playing England. And yeah. what was it, 60,000, well, 80,000 inside we'll, the stadium? We'll all be hoping that doesn't come back to bite the people of Britain on the arse in, in the weeks to come. Fiona, thanks very much. I, probably loads of people affected by that announcement that came out on Friday. Or this realisation rather than an announcement, revelation rather than an announcement that can't have indoor summer camps. Fiona, thank you for that. I want to go straight. Maybe, maybe, maybe in a few minutes my next guest can perhaps shed some light on whether this is vi- this is the right public health uh, uh, advice. But let me go to Jack Lambert, who is Professor of Clinical Medicine at UCD and, of course, an infectious diseases specialist and been on the opinion line with me many, many times. And you've been raising the prospect, Jack, of long COVID in kids because it it is an emerging problem that while some children don't get a bad dose of COVID when they get it, they're have they have long term effects for many months. Good morning. Good morning. That is the case, isn't it? Yeah, well, absolutely. I think. I mean, the, the, some people just say, "Oh, you should just let all young people go ahead and get COVID." You know, natural immunity. Um, but the reality is, is that is, is that you know that that it's just not that simple. Some people don't get over COVID; they have long COVID, and that's both adults you know, teenagers and in those cases of severe events in children, you know, five, six year olds as well. So it's not just a simple virus that you everybody gets over. What kind of things have you seen, Jack, or have your team seen? Well well I I thought have a long COVID clinic. So I, I and, and I don't see children but I but you know, so I'm seeing I'm seeing kids sixteen and on and over, you know, young adults and stuff and some of them are a year into their, you know, post-COVID symptoms with kind of quote-unquote chronic fatigue syndrome, very debilitated, you know, post-infectious condition. And if you look in the literature on, you know, younger kids, I mean, there have been outbreaks in, in younger kids and there's this kind of inflammatory syndrome that a certain percentage of children get that affect the heart and they end up sick in the hospital. So, so, so small in numbers, but, it, but if it's your child and they end up sick in the hospital with heart disease, you know, six-year-old, it's quite severe. So I, I don't think we should take COVID serious. I think we shouldn't take it lightly. Um, we should continue to, you know, think about what we're going to do with, with, with children. Um, cases in children over the last two months, if you look at the numbers of cases in the zero to 18 age group in Ireland, it's 25 to 30% of all cases. So a lot of young adults and children are, are getting infected with COVID. And I'm not sure he's keeping track of the complications. Yeah. There is a, a, a well-known syndrome in, in viral medicine, isn't there, Professor, that, you know, some people do take an off long time to recover from a virus and that it's just happening with COVID like it happened with everything else. Or is that a misrepresentation of the situation? Well, I think that's a misrepresentation, total misrepresentation. You know, people get flu, but two months later, you know, you can, you can be in bed for a month after flu, but two months later, you're better. And there are viruses. Yes, there are viruses that cause chronic fatigue syndrome, but this virus is different. This is, this is a virus that attacks the immune system. It causes an inflammatory immune condition. And even after the virus is gone, there's ongoing immune inflammatory damage that's persisting in some patients now from March 2020. So I have patients in my clinic now that are, you know, 15, 16 months still unwell. Yeah. And it's people who are fit and healthy as well. Absolutely. It's not, you don't end up having to be in the ICU. You could just have a mild cold as part of your COVID quarantine at home. And then three months later, 
bang, yeah, you're very, very unwell. Um, and you, you went from being a marathon runner to, to, to basically been unable to kind of walk around the block without collapsing. And is it the unpredictability of this that's the most worrying element? Well, I think I think it's part partially the unpredictability. Yeah, we don't. This is a new virus. We don't understand it. But but like I said, there's so many opinions out there on Twitter. You know, and well. number two, there's no really kind of plan. There's no kind of national plan at the present time for follow up of these, you know, long COVID patients. You know, so I think we really need to kind of get our act together in terms of really, you know, understanding the disease, addressing it in children. Mm. and on adults and, and developing pathways for supporting them because uh, a lot of our healthcare workers were infected as you remember a year ago Indeed. and a lot of them are just floating around not getting care at the present time. We know that some of the uh, vaccine manufacturers, Pfizer in particular, are researching um, vaccines for the, for the much younger ones. Is it, is it time to, do we, do we have to work right down into the children uh, with a vaccine to get this properly sorted? I think we do. I think we do for two reasons. First off, you know, even if children don't get sick, they can transmit it to, you know, more more vulnerable populations. And number two, we we, we don't want to to be dealing with the issue of long COVID in children and young adults. And the best way to do that is to is to vaccinate them. So, yeah, I think we need to move forward with vaccinating, you know, all populations, including younger children. And it may be an annual thing moving forward. Um, if, if COVID doesn't disappear, it seems like it's going to be like influenza. It's going to be an annual event moving forward. Professor Lambert, my, my lines are inundated this morning with angry parents who've just discovered that indoor summer camps have to be put aside for now because of Delta. Make sense of it for them, will you? If you, if you can? Well, well the, the thing is, is that you know, it's 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 safer to be outdoors than indoors. Um, but but I, I I I'm not sure that we should just have a plan to ban all indoor gatherings. I I think we've really never put together a living with COVID plan that that mm-hmm. involved COVID mitigation, including masks. You know, so I think if it was me, um, I I I, w- I would put together some kind of indoor outdoor plan with with masks and you know meticulous hand washing and social distancing as part of the solution but unfortunately that you know we seem to have you know very extreme plans that really have made it very difficult for us to kind of move forward and get back to a more normal life the most recent fear is the is this more infectious strain delta virus but there's going to be another more infectious strain you know coming along in september we can't keep on reacting to infectious strains we actually have to do interventions to keep the, yeah. the virus from being more infectious. Okay. Lastly, and it's happening probably this day week, there's a very, you could call it a brave step, you could call it a crazy step being taken in, in our nearest neighbours, the UK. What do you think well, well, I, of well, the I opening think, up? Well, I, I think it, I think it's, the, the, if you look at the statistics and people who are ending up in the hospital, it's one-tenth of what it was before, but that says there is success from the, from the vaccine. They're way ahead of us in terms of vaccines. So it says to me that vaccines are working. But I think, um, you know, the, the Scottish plan is going to continue to use masks as yeah. well as vaccination. I think throwing away a mask in England is, is, a, is a risky step, and I don't think I would take that step. All right. Always a pleasure to have you on the opinion line. Professor uh, Jack Lambert, 
who is a professor of clinical medicine at UCD and indeed an, an infectious diseases consultant. 1850-715-996. His idea would seem to be, look, it would be better if we could do the camps with half in and half out and open the doors and open the windows and... We are where we are. Have there been indoors? There have been indoors in school all bloody years, says Anne. What difference does one more week make? Just because it's fun activities and not schoolwork, these experiences are just as beneficial to kids. There were summer camps happening for the past two or three weeks. My local secondary school has been hosting art and sports camps. And I know of other areas doing similar. So is it just the companies that are summer camps or are they just shutting down the school camps as well? The public health... Advice seems to be not to be gathering large numbers of children indoors. That would appear to be where it is. On the dining, if you're not vaccinated, can you still go outdoor? Of course you can. The indoor, excuse me, the indoor dining only only uh, uh, applies to vaccinated people for now. But if you're not vaccinated, of course you can go out in the beer garden like you always could. Of course you can. On travel to the UK, PJ, what's the crack? If I want to go to England, all my kids and grandkids are there, so I'd love to visit, but rules don't seem clear to me. Well, you can go and you can enjoy your visit with your children and your grandchildren and all of that, and I don't think there's any need for you to quarantine when you arrive, particularly if you're vaccinated, which I'm assuming that you are. But when you come back, as of today, when you come back, you have to quarantine and you have to get PCR tested when you come back. We think that might ease after the 19th of July, but it's not written down anywhere yet that it will. But you can go for now and go and visit them all you want. But when you come back, there are certain implications as regards quarantine and testing. 1850 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Hear all the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars, non-stop. Cork's 96FM's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online. Listen on our app or go to 96FM.ie. The Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman and JBL. Your specialist in sound this summer. Cork's 96FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Some comments held over on England and the match and Italy and all of that. I will will come back to them. I promise I will. But there was a piece in Friday's Examiner, which we were all looking at. Uh, The Lord Mayor of Cork has spoken publicly for the first time about his brother's recovery from heroin addiction. Finn Falls Councillor Colm Kelleher has said that Ireland really does need to start talking about supervised injection rooms and proper programmes as part of a solution to the heroin problem. I'm very interested in the story, uh, a very uh, human story from our first citizen, and I had an opportunity to catch up with him across the weekend. Lord Mayor, I think many of us read the piece in the newspapers on Friday and felt for you and felt for your family. How is your brother these days? He's good, PJ. Thank you. He's, uh, he's, he's very good. Why did you decide that now was the time to tell the story? Well, you know, look, I, I was on the way into City Hall uh, from Baton College uh, Friday morning, um, or, um, and I got a text from my brother Don with a, a picture of a vacant shop unit, and he had a caption underneath it that he was going to take a chance. And I, I brought tears to my eyes, to be honest with you, PJ, because... 
like my brother has suffered for so long and I've seen him at the, the lowest point, the lowest any human being could possibly go in, I suppose, in my imagination. And uh, just to see, I suppose, the transformation from that lowest point to him now, you know, having a clear head, focused, having, you know, a mindset to take on something new and to open up a business for himself. Um, you know, I was just very, very proud in that moment. So um, that being said, you know, I, I, it's just things started rolling around inside my inside my head and trying to re- relive, I suppose, the last decade, really, of a, a major issue that affected our family um, and my brother and uh, us, us as his brothers and uh, I suppose our parents as well. And uh, I just thought it was right and high time to, you know, tell his story. So um, Owen English and the examiner, who I have to give great credit to, is, you know, obviously a very delicate matter. And Owen contacted me and asked me would I be interested in doing a piece in it. And look, I spoke with Don and I spoke with members of my family first, obviously, to see if they were okay with it. And we were all of the same mindset that, you know, this, we believed that this was a story that, that should be told. When did it all start? I suppose, look, it started a, a very long time ago. Um, Don is 39 now. Um, he's four years older than me. Um, I'd say about, you know, 17, 18, Don started to act out. Uh, he started to rebel against my parents. He started to rebel against authority. And got involved in, you know, soft drugs and cannabis and stuff like that. Started rebelling against society as a whole. Like every teenager rebels, Colm, you did yourself, I guess, in your own time. I there's did. A, there's a difference, though, between, yeah, there's a difference, though, between rebelling and what happened. So, like, when did you, as his younger brother, or did you, or his parents, your parents, realise there's more to this than just teenage rebellion? You know, any, any avenue to get his hands on money, I suppose, to feed his addiction, he, he would do it and he, you know, he didn't care at that point in time who he climbed over to get to it. Now, look, it subsequently turned out, turned out we found out when Don was 17 that um, he was abused. While it's not an excuse for what happened and doesn't excuse Don's, uh, I suppose, addiction or his, his actions, you can see as a family when you're trying to piece things together that there, there's a correlation. And I suppose that's very difficult for any individual or any man to deal with. Mm. But to deal with it and throw addiction down on top of it, it must have been a living torture for him, you know? Mm. Do, do you or does he link his subsequent addiction issues to what happened to him as a little boy? Uh, look, we, as I said, it, it's it's not 100% excusable what he did. And it doesn't just, you know, he was, he was, he was abused as a child. We as a family, you know, when we're trying to piece things together, we can see the correlation there and we can see, yeah. you know, they, they well, did have an influence towards I it. guess to, to explain, and it's something that, you know, you, you struggle with sometimes in journalism, and I'm sure you struggle with it as a family, uh, you, to explain is not to excuse. Well, completely. The, the link between the two, I mean, has he explored it in himself? Look, I think John, Don is still on a journey. Um, he's clean now, three years. Um, but as he says to me, like, look, I've I don't have personal experience myself personally with addiction, but I've seen it, you know, firsthand with my brother. So I don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning and crave a hit. 
I don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning and you know whether if you're a drug addict or if you're an alcoholic or a gambler. I, I've never experienced myself that as an, as an individual. But Don tells me, like, even though he's clean now three years, every day is a struggle. He wakes up and he faces a fresh battle every single morning. It's like someone hits a reset button. This is his words, not mine. Someone hits a reset button and his battle starts all over again. So every day he, he faces the world he's facing those challenges and to be in the mindset that he's in now to open up a, a new business i just found that very endearing i, I found i was mm. very i was very proud of my brother at that moment absolutely um, but i do believe you know he still has a long way to go and he still has a lot of soul searching to, to do but i'm very very proud of him pj and i know it's you know it might be a taboo subject well i don't see why it would be a, a taboo subject because what it does and in your position as first citizen i think you're opening a conversation in many homes, because I imagine there are many homes in Cork that have been affected by some loved one's addiction. Completely, completely. Um, and like I suppose as first citizen of the city, um, you know, I want to use my platform as first citizen of the city to give people um, who don't have a voice, people who have addiction, people who have gambling problems, people who have alcoholism problems, one person actually said to me there recently, he said, you know, why, like, I know it's personal to you and your family, but, you know, why why use your position as Lord Mayor to do this? You know, he said, like, and he said, a lot of these people don't vote. But, like, I was kind of looking at him and I was saying, like, what type of attitude is that to have? You know, just because they don't, I'm not in this to, to, to gain votes. I'm not in this to, to you know, you know, advance myself politically. Did someone say that, Colm? 100%. You know, like it was thrown at me when I decided to go into politics, PJ, that, you know, the history of my brother would bring me down and I should be very cautious about entering public life. And that kind of kind of hit me at that point in time. And I was saying to myself, well, this, if anything, this is encouraging me to dive right in, you know, because these people do not have a voice. They may not vote, PJ, but I don't care if they don't vote. These people need a voice. And as first citizen of the city, hopefully I can give them that voice because I was elected by the good people of the Cork City South West Ward um, to, to Cork City Council. I'm now elected as the first citizen of the city. And it's my duty to be a voice for every single citizen in Cork City, whether they vote or not. That doesn't matter to me at all. Well, you don't need me to tell you, Lord Mayor, that there are many families, and this interview will be heard in many households, that have been hit in the same way as your family and your household has has been hit and, and have gone through terrible things. And in the end, that person has either put themselves right, like your brother has, and fair play to him, or hasn't. And maybe that one person has been almost completely lost to that family. Did you ever, did you ever fear or did your family ever fear that you'd completely lose Don to the heroin? hundred percent, hundred percent. Like uh, PJ, sorry, now I'm getting a bit of, <laughs> a bit emotional. Um, I've seen my brother at his lowest point, as I as I said there at the start of the interview. I've seen my brother with a needle in his arm. I've seen my brother with foam coming out of his mouth. And you, when you when you see a loved one at that certain point in time and know that you're helpless, absolutely helpless to help them, it's heartbreaking. It's 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 like someone would reach your hand into your chest and pull your heart out. Um, and to see it come full circle uh, and see him, you know, in his recovery now, 
it's it's so satisfying as a family and I'm so proud of him as my brother but there was times when we thought we would lose him and I know there may be families here uh, you know listening to this interview now that may have lost a loved one or have a, a loved one that's struggling with addiction but you have to understand that these are people that are on a journey they may be at the end of it they may be in the middle of it they may be at the start of it but it is a journey and I think you know if we as a society want to help these people who are sick uh, and be under no illusions, they are sick and they need help. Like if you had a headache, you take a paracetamol. Um, so like if we expect them to be mature enough and, you know, respectful enough of themselves to realise that they have a problem and they come looking for help, then we as a society as a whole need to start having a conversation about tr- stop treating it as criminality for, uh, you know, the, the, the addicts, the people suffering from addiction and start treating it as a, a medical health issue like they do in Portugal. Many people would agree with you. This is an illness. It's a sickness. It's a horrible thing to invade anybody's life. But on the other side of it, there are victims of petty and not so petty crime committed to feed these addictions. That's where you have a split in society. We realize you're sick, but hey, you robbed that poor old lady last week. 100%. 100%. Like, people with addiction, they do stuff unnatural to them to feed their addiction. And, you know, petty crime is, is a result of it. But, you know, that's that's one of the side effects of their addiction and of their sickness. And I'm not excusing it for any stretch of the minute. You know, it's 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 deplorable that, 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 that the petty crime goes on. But you have to realise they're doing it uh, abnormality, abnormal to, to their inherent, I suppose, you know, uh, instincts. And they're not thinking straight. They're not in a straight frame of mind. And, you know, that being said, like, there needs to be a conversation had about, obviously, uh, our our laws in relation to narcotics and all that. I would be a firm believer, like, the, the big boys, the lads that don't, you know, uh, suffer from addiction, the lads that profit out of this misery, they need to be hunted down and, you know, Brought, brought, brought to justice um, and you know we are doing that as a state through the Special Criminal Court above in Dublin which I personally believe is one of the best avenues we have to deal with these people um, and but they, you, you, you'd you never see them with a needle hanging out of their arm you know they're counting their, 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 their millions laughing you know and they're peddling misery and sickness and, and pain all over the country so they need to be dealt with correctly and I would be uh, advocating for stricter laws on that. But in relation to the people who are small-time dealing to feed their habits, petty crime to feed their habits, they need to be treated uh, medically, you know, because if, unless we start that conversation, we're just going to end up going around in circles, PJ. We reckon that there's, what, 300 people or possibly more at any one time in treatment in Cork for, for heroin. It is a scourge, isn't it, Colm? Oh, complete scourge. Oh, it is, it is, it is, oh, it is crazy. Um, and like I, I, as Lord Mayor, went to St. Finbar's Hospital yesterday. We launched the Dash Bus, uh, the Drug, Alcohol and Sexual uh, Health Awareness Mobile Unit for Cork and Kerry. And uh, the whole, I suppose, idea of that is to get out to people who wouldn't, you know, be at a certain point in their recovery or in their addiction that they realise they have a problem. Um, and this mobile unit can go to anywhere within Cork and Kerry and uh, it gives them the opportunity to talk, gives them the opportunity, you know, to come forward. 
Um, but we need to do more because, as you said, 300 people in currently in treatment. There's waitingness to get into Tabor Lodge. There's waitingness to get into Coonvera. Um, there's, you know, you know, Arbor House, all of them. They're all oversubscribed and underfunded. Um, and I hope to, as Lord Mayor, uh, this year to work closely with uh, the HSE and uh, both local, the local authority and national government to see if we can increase funding to the HSE services and to these uh, addiction services um, and both at the local and national level to hopefully to try to alleviate um, you know, the problems that are facing these industry. But like PJ, I, I had to admire uh, the people up there yesterday at the launch of the Dash Bus these are people that, you know, some of them have never dealt with addiction personally or didn't have a family member that dealt with addiction. Mm. These are people that are doing it for the right reasons to help people. Mm. And I met recovered, recovered addicts up there yesterday. And, you know, it's, you know, they were all, I was looking at them and I could just see my brother and all of them, like they're all on the same journey. Do you believe in so-called safe spaces to take, if you like, take the problem off the public street and into somewhere where people can can inject safely. Do you believe in that? Look, PJ, I had um, a, a, a gentleman contact me um, after my interview in the Irish Examiner. He, his son was found dead in the toilets with a needle in his arm due to an infected, uh, contaminated needle. Had we had a centre, something like that, like a supervised injection centre, maybe his son would be alive today. And it was heartbreaking to read that email. So I know the argument is there that, you know, we, we shouldn't be supervising them as a state and we're only, you know, I suppose, accommodating them. But, you know, you, you, you tell that to that individual who lost his son to a dirty needle. So, you know, personally, myself, yes, I would be in favour of them. You mentioned Portugal earlier on and, and they have taken a fairly radical approach in recent years. Do you think it's something we should look at? Definitely, 100%. And I think, you know, it is, this needs to come uh, as a whole approach from society, but from government, from society as a whole. We need to look at legislation. We need to look at this problem because the system we have, PJ, is broken. This war on drugs that has been waged for the last number of years started in the early 80s, maybe late 80s, above in Dublin with this scourge of heroin above there, and then moved down <clears throat> progressively across the country. We're losing this war. We're losing this battle. And, you know, just like any general will tell you on a battlefield, if your form of attack or your strategy is waning, you change tactics. And I believe we now as a society do need to start changing tactics and approach this in a different manner. Come back to your own story. And not only is it very courageous of your brother to allow you to, to, to speak out on his behalf, it's also very courageous of you, Colm, and I congratulate you on speaking of your family's pain but how has the family come round now? He's doing well. He's opened a business. He's still struggling every day with his addiction and probably will for the rest of his life. But life, life is good again. How does that feel to yourself and the members of the family? PJ, it's, um, it's been a long time coming, to be honest with you. A long, long time coming because as a family as a whole, we suffered for so many years. My grandmother, Arthur Marcy and her, she had a shop in Perry Street, p Furniture Stores. And she was very close to Don. She died when he was in the height of his addiction. So she never got to see him come, come full circle. And we were very close to my grandmother, all of us. And as a family, that's a very sore spot for us, that she died knowing that all of this still was going on. But to see him come full circle now and to see the happiness that like he's got, 
beautiful children. He had a baby boy um, a couple of months ago and his kids are everything to him now, you know. Um, you know, and we, we as a family, we, you know, I, I have two children myself. My, we all, my, all my brothers have children. And it's great to see, I suppose, the next generation coming up. Um, but you would have that worry for all my own children and my nieces and nephews, you know, will we have to face something similar that our parents faced. And if by next June, when you take off the, the chain of first citizen, if there was one thing, Lord Mayor Kelleher, that you could have achieved for families affected like yours has been, what would it be? Well, if there's one thing that I can achieve as in my term as Lord Mayor, I would hope that if there's someone out there, uh, a family, you know, that's struggling, uh, an individual that's struggling, and they're afraid to seek help, they may be under pressure from from the family member in question. They may be un- under pressure from, you know, one of, one of these thug, thuggery gangs that the family member owes money to, um, and they may be afraid to speak out. As Lord Mayor my door is open to every single citizen of this city and every single family. And you can pick up the phone and ring me and I will do anything to help. If you want me to come out and meet you, I will come out and meet you. If you want to come into City Hall, you can come into City Hall and meet me. But I suppose if I could take anything away from it, like if, PJ, that what I've done here in my capacity as first citizen and what I've shared my story and my family's story and Don's story, it's his story and our story, if that prevents a mother or a father burying a son or a daughter, then it would have been worth it. Because I think that's what you feared at one point not so long ago. Completely. You know, we're very lucky to have Don still here. Very, very lucky. I don't want any other family to experience that because it's horrible. Thank you for speaking with me, Lord Mayor, and good luck in your term, and especially good luck in your work with our scourge of drugs. Thank you, Peter. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, a message in from Gillian. It says, best of luck to Don, the Lord Mayor's brother, on his road to recovery. My own family watched our sister die from alcohol addiction 13 months ago. She tried so hard to beat it every day. It's so true. Addiction is a very taboo subject. Well, Gillian, so sorry for your loss. And and there are so many people lost to addiction in our city and county every year. We should always pause now and again to think about it. But it's great to see that the Lord Mayor's brother, Don, is on the road to recovery. It's a long and rocky and difficult road. But where he is now is the best place he's been for a very long time. And it's great that the family are speaking up about it. Thank you for that. Few comments held over on the indoor dining from the first hour. Michelle, some, PJ, some restaurants are restricting outdoor diners to one hour and 45 minutes since they reopened. So they won't have to worry too much about going indoors. 
Hi PJ, a restaurant I go to already restricts outdoor diners to 1 hour 45, even though the government has said there's no need for restrictions on outdoor dining. I have been hearing that from a lot of places and it disappoints me because it's not supposed to be happening. There's not supposed to be a time limit outdoors. There's no provision for a time limit in the regulations or the the guidelines for outdoor drinking and eating at the moment. Some places are still applying the indoor rules of last year, which was an hour and 45 minutes. The only reason you can think of that they're doing it is turn over more tables and make more dosh, which isn't necessarily in the spirit of public health restrictions. But certainly if I'm booking anywhere, I don't want to see a time limit. I don't want to know about a time limit because there isn't supposed to be a time limit right now. But some places are imposing it, which is very disappointing. And then, uh, was it Rosaline sent in a WhatsApp voice message about the over-18s versus the under-18s and this can go in and that the other. These 18-year-olds now who can't even celebrate a party at home or anything like that now can't even go out for a meal with their friends. Crazy. Any thoughts that you have, you can put them on WhatsApp to us. We like to get your voice messages. You know, if you've got a, a long text, why sit there typing out a big long text? And if you can't take a call or make a call, why not just pop us a voicemail at 083 396 96 96. Come back to all that, though. Got some upsetting news over the weekend. Well, shall we say it's something that I kind of half knew was going to happen, but I was sort of sworn to secrecy on it in case. It could be avoided. Unfortunately, it hasn't been. A number of months ago, we had great celebrations in the Life Centre, the Cork Life Centre, and all connected to it. After the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, announced €100,000 in additional funding. But not only that, an additional €100,000 for the Life Centre and the allocation of 12 new teaching posts. And they thought that all their birthdays had come together up there and it was the hard work and determination of many years was finally being recognised in the way that it deserved I got wind a few weeks back that all wasn't well but that negotiations were ongoing, unfortunately they came to nothing at the weekend and we have a bit of a crisis Don O'Leary, Director of the Life Centre, good morning Don Good morning PJ What Um, happened? Well, I suppose, PJ, look, you kind of outlined it there. I mean, since since we opened in 2000, we've been working on a shoestring. And that's, you know, that's okay. Um, we, we got through it. And then we come to 2006. I started in 2006. And it has been, you know, for me, it, it breaks down to a rights issue in relation to children that attend this centre. Well, they'll be treated differently to, to every other child. No. We, we we have made huge efforts to get to the department board. And I'm going to have to say this though at the start, and then I, 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 I'll just tell you. Um, we started this about, it's over two years ago since we started this present phase of this, where we sat outside parties, tried to sort things out, tried to answer any questions on my culture from the Department of Education uh, in relation to the service. Um, and then we moved with the Department of Education. And this was definitely, initially, was definitely started by Polly O'Sullivan, uh, TD, um, yeah. who has been absolutely, you know, brilliant in, in all of this. And he got us a meeting with, um, in, in October with the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, uh, through, through Zoom. Uh, here we discussed our ask, because we had sent an ask to them, um, and they were going to come back to us. 
in 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 December, uh, a former student, stu- uh, present student, and myself sat before the Oireachtas Committee on Education and had cross party support, all parties and non party, in looking for funding to be sent to the the Carclay Centre. Um, so that continued on. In fairness, me, Hall Martin, uh, the Taoiseach, even though it's a usually busy time for him, um, came on board and started to to hammer the thing as well for us. Um, but however, you know, on, on, on a week that we were celebrating our 20th anniversary here with a, a conference, um, on the Wednesday that week I got a call um, to tell me this is the outline of what's in the document. Mm-hmm. And my, my answer to that was, Gee, that sounds that sounds okay. I haven't seen the document. Um, on the uh, and partly due to my fault, I said to me, "Hold Martin, you know, go forward with this." I told we were done. Yeah, and he did. And I got a call on the Thursday asking me to comment on it from um, from, from the Echo. And I I said, "Look, well, I can't comment on it because I still haven't seen the letter. But if what I'm hearing is in the letter, then it's going to be hugely beneficial, and it's a breakthrough for the Carclay Centre." Yeah. Um. When I did finally get around to 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 getting the document, there was a major problem. Um, the hundred thousand, you know, I I can say thank you. Uh, I keep saying thank you for money. I first said thank you for fifty thousand in December, fifty thousand in February. That's a hundred thousand. I said thank you, and we would take that. You know, it's a point where each time it was given that that wouldn't make us sustainable. Mm-hmm. The crux of our issue here was. I have 70 staff a year. That's what I have in the centre. That's what has made this centre um, what it is. The staff, not me. The staff and the kids and the relationships between both. Yes. I have teachers, I have tutors. What I wanted to do was to try and ensure that, because we do it, it's like, a, it's like a, a brain drip. We have staff who will come start as volunteers, sometimes get part-time paid. Some will get very badly full-time paid. Mm-hmm. Very few, and uh, I, I wanted their their future secure because what what they're going to do, right? The part-time paid would never be able to get a mortgage. Would never be able to do anything like that. They had built a relationship with our kids, and they've embedded the ethos, the model, and the culture into the centre. Mm-hmm. And they have been absolutely amazing. Yes, I, I, I have twelve staff eight that have been here between eight and twelve years. Eight and twelve years. When it came to looking at it, what they were asking me to do was take 12 staff from another organisation. <laughs> and I said, no, that, that, that could So hold happen. on, I'll pause this now for, for the benefit of the listeners. So Dan, you got these 12 new teaching posts allocated and you thought, right, well here's my long-standing staff who've been with me and with the kids since the day dot. I yes. can now fit them nicely and neatly into those 12 teaching posts, secure them and secure the centre. But that's not the deal. No, that, that isn't the deal. And, and I think, you know, that was our ask right from the start. I don't need staff. I have brilliant staff. I have amazing staff. What I need is for their experience, their abilities and their commitment to be recognised. Now, when I went back and I heard, and I mean, some of it is just like, it, it, to me it's just rubbish because of... I'm sorry, staff. what is it? Is it that the department are saying to you, okay, Don, here's your 12 teaching posts and here's who you have to hire? Well, well, they'll be giving me a list, right, from another organisation. Um, but here's my issue here, right? You're working in the Cartwright Centre for, for that many years, 10 to 12 years. 
Um, in June, you're going to be coming into Don here. You're going to be saying to Don, Don, can you sign a letter to arrive to go to the Dole office? And at the same time, they were going to send me in staff who would be coming here saying, Come on, Don, I'm going on holidays. No. I, I don't care, you know, maybe maybe I'm a bit silly here, but if it was me and I was the life centre staff, I'd be saying, hold on a second. Thanks, but no thanks. And they'd be gone. That would then leave me and the centre in a situation, and our kids, most important, our kids, yeah. in a situation whereby all the trust, all the work that they'd built up with the staff over the years would be gone. Gone. Dead. I mean, you know... If, like, I'll give you an example, right? Um, I, I, we've stayed clung into this. Since May, I've kept my mouth strong. I, I, and my deputy director has, and my minister I have here, because we've been working solidly on this. And I did that because I wanted to give people an opportunity to keep pushing the door for us. Yeah. My board of management wanted to issue a statement because we had very clearly outlined that June was a kind of a date where I'd have to start looking for funding for next year. If I wasn't getting paid by the department, I couldn't go looking for funding next year. If everyone in the city and the world was believing, the life centre had finally been sorted and the department were paying them. But worse than that, I, I we've met and met and met. Um, we had a meeting with the department, not last Friday and Friday before. I was the, oh, sorry, they phoned me and asked me when I had a meeting. I said, so I went to the meeting and the first thing I was asked was, matter of urgency here, we need three staff to move from this organisation to your organisation as a matter of urgency. Mm. And I said, well, our, our, our board said that that was a red line. And I said, OK, because I, I, I want to investigate this. I said, right, right, OK, so will you pay my very badly paid three full-time staff as well? Uh, uh, m- uh, m- maybe, no, uh, yeah. That's where I got. Right. And I can we can prove our letters. And then at the end of that meeting, where we made some where we seem to have made some small movement. The, the last thing I was asked at that meeting, as a matter of orders, can you deal with these stuff? No, I said I couldn't, but what I would do is I'd explore the situation. I didn't ask for a document to be sent to me. And the document removed everything of that small movement. Everything. There was nothing in it. And at that stage, my, my, my board said, no. So no, you no. now find yourself, Don, if I'm correct here, with your back against the wall, being told this is what you need to do. It goes against the very principles of how the Life Centre has worked for God knows how long. So where are we today? I mean, is there a danger to the centre now, Don? Well, well, there has to be, PG, you know. I mean, look, it's always been my thing that... And I go back to our rights issue, right? There is no... I'm not a principal, I'm a director, right? I'm the director of the centre here. There is no one in my position in any education placement is taking kids in in September and saying to, saying to them, um, like I'm having to say to like I always say to children in here, you have a place here until you're leaving, sir. And I mean that more sincerely. And I do, I, I, I will fight to the death to make sure they get there. However... I don't have the funding to make sure they're going to be in second year. And the issue is here for me is that I've, we've managed to, to succeed over the last number of years due to the, the fantastic philanthropy from the likes of the Tomer Cross, uh, Leslie and Carmel Buckley, and lots of other people, you know, and they've been absolutely brilliant. But, but I tell you, 
I'm here for the summer. Or my staff are here for the summer. I have staff in here painting this building. We don't have cleaners. If this place has to be cleaned, we get off of our backside and we clean it. They're still here. They're, they're still here walking. And, and that's how they're treated. And, and it does seem, you know, people telling me I'm misunderstanding what's going on. I'm long enough in the tooth down to know that I'm not misunderstanding what's going on. Because what was said to me was, you take these three staff, and sometime in the future, we will determine a transition for your staff. So did, did they expect you to, and um, this is important, did they expect you to add these three to the staff and to lose three of yours? Is that what no, they wanted you to do? No, no. They want me to take on three paid staff and not to pay my own staff. But my own staff are going to miraculously stay somehow. I, 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 don't, I don't see that, you know. I mean, you, you know, when I talk, you see, the issue here has been, and we will continue to be, you know, it's shifting goalposts, shifting signs. Initially, was what I was told was the 12 staff that are coming in are full-time paid teachers, you need teachers. I have teachers. I don't need teachers. However, when I asked where they were coming from, they were coming from an adult education background. I'm dealing with kids who, would be, who couldn't survive in former secondary school. And they've come so far, and our kids are, are absolutely amazing. And your amazing. staff, you, you know yourself, and I don't need to tell you, but I'm telling listeners, each member of your staff effectively is hand-picked and hand-selected to work with the kids that come through your centre. And it is magic, the combination. I say that as an observer and friend for many years of the centre. What they do in there is magic every day. So you're being asked to take on outsiders who've never worked with these kids. Never. And and you see, we'd never have worked before. Some of them would have never worked before the secondary education kids, right? Which was going to be a problem. Now, what what I want... Why why would you say 12 staff? 12 staff is is the thing that was pulled out of the air either. We sat down, we looked at the other types of organisations that were out there and that the, 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 the state was, the Department of Education was funding, right? And, and we came at a, in at a less number than what some of these were doing. But, but the issue for me here is that with 12 staff, that would be core, that would be sitting here, who do this anyway, but do it for, do, do for running. They would be able to see something at the end of this also, they're committed, they will be committed to training the staff to come in. We're still going to be taking volunteers this year. Yeah. But we still, you know, it's still have people on power tables. And, and, you know, there are, there are areas here that you realise that the department are never going to pay for. I have four councillors, I have a drug councillor. My philanthropists are paying for those. Yeah. But it becomes, it becomes, you know, <laughs> what I love doing and what my staff love doing all of us in here, is working with children, working with magical children, and, and with a fantastic team on, on our staff. And for the summer, look, we, we went to Wexford with a few kids last week, and we have three camps coming up in the next in the next couple of weeks. I have six weeks to make sure that I have funding for my staff in September. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's we, we had to call a hall for this. I, I, so I have you kind of turned around now, Don, and said take your jobs and sub them? No, I, look, I, I got contacted. My board of, my, my board of management sent a, a, a letter to the department withdrawing us from talks. I was contacted later on Friday evening and said, will you be available to, for talks? I said, yes, I will be available for talks, but now I'm really going into talks on the parameters as set out by the, my board's letter. So in other words, I want to talk about my staff. I don't want to talk about any real staff. My job isn't to look after the HR for any organisation. 
my job, my job here is to ensure the children that I'm working with, their parents and my staff know what they're doing, know where they're going to and know we're going to be there. And that has always the way that I want to be. You know, I, I, I keep being told, you know. I can, I can hear the emotion in your voice, Don. Yeah, and, and, and I just it, want to ask you before I let you go, where's this Where's this headed, mate? Well, if we don't sort it, right, I, I, we will struggle on. For how long can we keep the struggle up for? And I am I, looking into the future. The future at the moment is, is usually bleak. Philanthropists give money for so much time, and they've been brilliant. But I'm going to stop running over that. Uh, and where do you go then? And it's, you know, I'm never going to stop fighting for the kids here or for the staff. We're a team. We're a community. It's not going to die. But, but like, we're very close to it again. And we can't keep bringing people to the precipice and then moving back. And when I said, well, to go, we'd lose some staff. I'd be terrified we're going to lose some children. And they will say, this is not what we came into. This is not the life centre. The life centre has a model of work which we're hugely, hugely proud of. We have a model of, 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 of culture. Um, I'm usually proud of it. And anyone that answers the centre knows our kids, our families, our staff know that. And they're the ones that deliver on that. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're in. You're over. All I'm asking the department to do is Come on. Okay. Every child has a right to education. In layman's terms, someone just asked us to explain what this is about. In layman's terms, Don, you effectively have been offered funding, offered teaching posts, but asked to take on outsiders rather than putting your own staff into those posts, correct? That, that is correct. And I tell you something else, Peter. That was for an initial staff. They start talking about public money. It was a great. But we're, we're, we're 20 years away. You know, staff are here 10 to 12 years. Need to be the staff are here at the moment. If a staff member dies, if a staff member leaves, if a staff member retires, I have no problem in sitting with any board, with any, with any group, 
and put an interview panel together and leave it open. But for me to take in 12 staff and possibly lose what I have, I would find it impossible to still call this the Life Centre. All right. Don, I'll leave it there for today, mate. I can, I can hear the emotion in your voice and, and it's hard to avoid it. Don O'Leary, direct, uh, Director of the Cork Life Centre. I remember the first time we spoke on air, they were struggling for a few quid to open again in September. And here they are again, deal on the table that on principle, they cannot accept. Like, he's got staff. He's got brilliant staff. He's got staff that work miracles with the kids. There's the money on the table, Don. There's the teaching post you wanted, Don. Now here's who, who we want you to hire. That's not how the principles of the Life Centre work. We will follow it. 1850-715-996. Kate asks, is Norma Foley even aware how the centre is run? If the government ruined this chance for the children, it'll be ridiculous. They must give a child a chance in life, even if mainstream education doesn't work out. And Anne says, if only these people had children who attended the centre, then they'd understand just how important it is. They wouldn't be so quick to send anyone in there. The centre's staff work well for the children that go there for that reason. To them, it's not just a job they've been sent to. They sought out to work at the Life Centre, and that should be rewarded. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Monday afternoon, I know it can be a bit of a drag. Let's fly you through all your favourite tunes and all things Cork. See you after the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. A few people are a little confused over what the issue is with the Life Centre. And look, that's understandable. But what it effectively is, is that the Department of Education has said it will create 12 teaching posts at the Life Centre. So effectively, they've walked up and said, here's 12 permanent teaching jobs with everything that goes with it. So instead of Don being able to take his 12 longest-serving full-time staff and put them into those 12 positions, the department wants them to hire those people over there. That's where it stands right now, and he doesn't want to do that. 1850-715-996. Now, the ISPCC has spoken up about its concern at a rise in reports of child abuse. It follows crime figures being published by the Central Statistics Office, which indicates it went up by 11% reported incidences in the year up to March of 2021. Fiona Jennings is their Senior Policy and Public Affairs Manager. Morning, Fiona. Good morning, PJ. These are worrying figures. How much of them lockdown-related, do you think? Yeah, so um, I suppose any increase, first of all, in any types of abuse against children is very concerning for us in the ISPCC. And this period um, that where the figures have been reported um, in respect to the increases from March 2020 to March 2021. So really, it is that lockdown period that we're talking about when those... Um, those restrictions first came into place and I suppose we were all, children included, you know, asked to stay at home, remain at home, be safe at home if you want. Um, But unfortunately for some children, being at home wasn't the safest place for them. You had an increase in calls to Childline. 
Yeah, our child line service, we saw an increase in calls there. We saw an increase in the types of calls as well. Um, we saw a lot of uh, an increase in um, calls, I suppose, relating to domestic abuse, whereas um, that wouldn't necessarily always have been, um, we'll say, a profile or a category of calls for us that would be trending highly. Um, so that was, that, that was again, I suppose we're putting it down to children being at home, mm. um, perhaps, you know, seeing, you know, either, you know, one parent or caregiver um, abuse another parent or caregiver um, while they may have, I suppose, come home from school or come home from their their, their social activities previously and perhaps seen the the aftermath of an an event. They weren't always necessarily witnessing it or or being in the middle of it. Um, So we were getting calls around that. So that was quite concerning as well. The children were exposed to things that they wouldn't have been exposed to previously. Mm. I know that people who work in child protection have spoken to some of them and they say that the they were very worried about the periods when the schools were closed. I mean, the unscheduled closures, because one of them said to me, look, that's our best window. We can see and the schools can inform us of stuff. But if they don't get that, if we don't get to see it, we can't intervene. Oh yeah, and there's there's no doubt about that. And that bore out as well, I suppose, um, you know, Tusla, um there, there was a drop in referrals to Tusla and ourselves, along with other um, children's organisations, came out at the time and with the support of the media, again, you know, helped to highlight the importance of reporting, the importance of keeping an eye out for children and young people. But you're right, they, you know, you... The, I suppose the child protection services depends on the people who you know engage regularly with children who know them inside out, who know their families inside out, and they are our teachers, they are our youth club leaders, our youth club workers, um, and also I suppose wider family members, you know, the wider family network as well. Um, the, the child protection services depend on all those people, I suppose you know, having that watchful eye or that safeguarding eye on children and to, to report something to them when they do have a concern. So what do we do with this disturbing information, Fiona? Yeah, I suppose there's a couple of things. There are statutory services which are, you know, two for the Child and Family Agency and Angarda Siakona, where we would always encourage people to report any concerns that they might have directly into them. Our own Childline service um, that we offer um, that children and young people can engage with, you know, sometimes it could be their first time calling um, and um, it, that can be very, very difficult for them. So we can support them with their options and empower them, I suppose, in what they could possibly do. But what sometimes people can find hard is that, you know, reporting it to the guards is not always something children want. Um, we try and help talk through maybe what could happen if that call was made, etc. And they have genuine fears, you know, around family splitting up, you know, perhaps children being taken into care or, you know, a huge upheaval in life for them. And um, and that can be tough as well. But um, I suppose it's very important that, you know, members in the community, if they do have a concern about a child or young person, just to pick up that call or pick up that phone and just to make mm. that call and share those concerns. Finally, is there a role for government? I'm thinking in particular here of the, the Minister for Children, Minister O'Gorman here, Fiona. Is there a role for government to respond to these figures? 
Oh, there, there is a huge role. I mean, we. I suppose the first thing to say is that we've done, a lot has been done, um, PJ, in the last number of years in respect of policy responses, I suppose, after abuse has taken place. But really now we need to have investment and our policy response needs to be understanding why abuse is still taking place and to have investment, I suppose, in the programmes to prevent it, to have investment in the education that prevents it, um, that prevents it happening in the first place. And that's where we would call for government to focus their efforts on. All right, leave it there for today and thank you for being with us on the Opinion Line. That's Fiona Jennings. She's the Senior Policy and Public Affairs Manager with the ISPCC. Don't you just love it when an idea becomes a business? And it happens all the time. Most of the time it doesn't hit the headlines, but it happens rather a lot. And I've said many times, I don't know how many times I've said it, my favourite super value in the whole wide world, and yes, they are all over the world, is the one in Clonakilty. It's that big, huge super value as you go down into Clon. It's just enormous and they have a bakery and they have cheese and they have every, you name it. It's just brilliant. And it's run by the Scallies. And an idea that started there a little while back is now a business up and down the country. Neve Scally, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. It started with gluten-free bread. Now, I remember in our house... We had several years where bread for the young fella had to be gluten-free and I remember how difficult it was to get it at the start and we used to bake our own, or rather the Queen Bee used to bake her own in this great big machine. It wasn't easy. So there's always been a great market for good gluten-free bread and that's where you came in. Absolutely. What happened? Oh, God, well, to start, it didn't just start recently, I suppose. Years ago, six years ago, obviously, my parents have super value in Conicilty, which would be much loved for the fresh food offering within the shop. And over the years, I suppose, we would have had a lot of requests, like from yourselves, looking for the gluten-free alternative to a scratch bakery and store. And I think one day what really broke, the straw that broke the camel's back was the mother of a celiac child came in looking for an obviously gluten-free birthday cake, just like the other kids would have. Right. Now, I think if you, unless you have a celiac or someone with a gluten intolerance living in your house, you don't really understand how difficult it can be to find something that's suitable um, for someone with those needs. And and so I think that day when my dad heard this mother coming in for the the birthday cake, just like all the other kids had, he just said, we have to do something about this. And with that, they invested in a specialised gluten-free bakery at the back of our shop. And from the get-go, I suppose the range would have focused on quality, range, taste, flavour, and there was a designated team put in place, I think, to grow that. Um, and they would have done all of those things. So I suppose fast forward six years, I was in Melbourne last year, and obviously we had to come back as a result of the pandemic and actually end up working in Super Value and Con. And during that period of lockdown and restrictions, we would have had a lot of people ringing saying, you know, please send us, the breads that they would have tried when they were holidaying in West Cork the previous year. And after a while, I just said, you know, instead of bringing mental, why not bring the range to them instead? And last year, in October, I relocated the production of the gluten-free bakery into a standalone production facility in the Bandon area right. and have since transformed it into a fully-fledged independent business. Crazy. And you're supplying hotels and you're supplying supermarkets and you're supplying shops. It's, it's really taken off for you. And and that was in, in the teeth of a pandemic. Like, did, it make it, yeah. did, did it make it harder to do business in the pandemic? Um, or did you know anything about doing business beforehand? Like, 
you know what? I didn't really. I suppose what I what I did really know was the range was adored by celiacs and those on a gluten free diet. Um, but I suppose starting out, I knew it was October. We were approaching shops that had a lot of seasonal stock that they had to ship for Christmas, and it's a busy period for stores on top of a pandemic, so that they had a lot going on. And genuinely, I didn't really know, you know, what was about to happen. Yeah. But I suppose one of the things about COVID. You know, there's, there's so many negatives, but one of the positives is, you know, people are really getting behind new businesses and they're so conscious of supporting local and Irish. And honestly, the receptiveness from the retailer to the range was overwhelming and just something I suppose I didn't really expect. Um, you know, they had to give over shelf space to us. And I think the response from the retailer along with the customer has been something that has really just blown me away. Um, so so many know, people now prefer to eat non-gluten bread and non-gluten cake, whether or not they have a, a toler- an intolerance. The other yeah. thing, too, that I note, like, and you'll have, done, you'll have researched this, your, mm. your bread is, is now listed as being on the Celiac Society's approved list. Yeah. And, you know, there's, glute, there's bread with a little bit of gluten, a tiny bit of gluten in it, and mm. there's bread with absolutely none for Celiac Standard. All yeah. your stuff is Celiac Standard. Yeah, yeah. So there's a codex test so you have to pass have to be, I suppose, gluten free and certified gluten free. Um and I suppose the fact that we've we now feature on the Celiac Society food list for twenty twenty one was a great boost. And I suppose it gives customers the confidence that we're a known brand and that we're a trusted brand. And like as you say, Pete, one little crumb can make someone with a gluten intolerant or someone who is celiac really, really sick. Yeah. And I suppose we have such strict food safety regulations that we have to follow and it's mm. paramount. Um, but I know that we had Jill Brennan down last week to launch the gluten-free range and like she has really endorsed the flavour and the quality of the range, which is phenomenal. But I suppose the fact that we feature on this on this list... Because mm. there, there was a time, and I, I don't mind telling you, because we tried it <laughs> at home, I don't mind telling you, it was like, it was like, it was like chewing on an odour eater. One time, yeah, but I not know. anymore. Like buttering it, buttering it toasted order eater was kind of what you had for your breakfast. One, I know. one sometime, but not now, not now. And I suppose me now, I'm not a celiac, but I think for people to know that this is a range that's been developed by non-celiacs for celiacs is something that really stands to us, and we use really fresh quality ingredients. You know, anything that we ever did in Clonakilty in the shop, it was always the best. So we have the real Irish butter in our in our apple tart, and we're using. Um, the Irish Conakilty yogurt, um, their yogurt is the main ingredient in our oat and yogurt loaf. Right. Um, so, you know, provenance of ingredients does not suffer for it. And I suppose optimum freshness is a thing as well. So our shops all get multiple deliveries Brilliant. in the week and our bakers bake through the night. So people are guaranteed in the morning when I arrive in the shops with their deliveries, that bread is literally sure. out of the oven. Tis and pra- is practically, tis practically still warm. Niamh, yes. listen, delighted for you. Uh, it's brilliant. And, and give m- so much. Give, m- give my best to, to, to your parents as well, because I haven't seen them in, in a very long time. That's Niamh Scally, uh, the uh, person behind death. The uh, gluten-free kitchen, Clonakilty gluten-free kitchen. You pick them up in all the soup value stores across Cork, but uh, gluten-free bread used to be hideous. It used to be horrible. And I don't mind any disrespect to anyone who ever made gluten-free bread before. It used to be horrible, but not anymore. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Seminal Irish indie band Power of Dreams are back with a much-anticipated comeback album due for release on July 23rd. They play Cypress Avenue on March 13th next with tickets on sale now. Access all areas. Cork Opera House has launched its Cara O'Sullivan Associate Artist Programme with a series of outdoor operas inspired by the much-missed soprano. These include Puccini's La Boheme and Verdi's La Traviata and they'll be performed in July at five locations across the city. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Quark's 96FM. Teenager. Bukayi Saka. And it's saved. And Italy are the European champions. Andrea, you can come out from behind the couch now. You've won. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Great. Uh, I, don't, I have no word of Italian. I don't know how to say congratulations or anything to you, but <laughs> it was tense, wasn't it? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Tough evening. You know, all the all the match. Yeah, because uh, to be waiting. fair, yeah, yeah, like Italy were the most successful team going into the competition, but yeah, that doesn't matter anything, does it, when you're in the final? Exactly. Was a well, what's the evening yesterday? Very, very tense, you know. All the time in attack, trying, trying, trying. Like, uh, England looked like uh, all the style Italy playing, you know. Mm-hmm. That's defense, close, close. But at the end, done. Yeah. <sighs> you you feel terribly sorry for the young lad whose penalty was saved, but at the same time, it won you the competition. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Where you know, did you, who did you at, watch at the, it with? At the, at the end, or at home. You watched My it. wife and I, yeah. yeah. And uh, was there. At the end, it, it counted the, the double V, double view, no? The win. Yeah, yeah. In the sport. When you win, yeah. in a fair way, of course, yeah. it doesn't matter. You know, Andrea, it's never happened before that Italy has won the Eurovision Song Contest and the Men's European Championship <laughs> in the one year. <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> it's very rare that the, the, the Eurovision special. <laughs> and it's a long time since Italy won the Europeans as well, isn't it? Yeah, true, true. Fifty true. something, fifty something years. Yes, yeah. He's a very yeah. special manager, though. Is this was that his thirty fourth game without defeat? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some friend of mine says uh, a renaissance of. Uh, Italian, Italy playing game, you know? Yeah. It's uh, yeah. like uh, a new, new era is yeah. coming. Did you have era. an old gelato to celebrate? Uh, yeah, I have a tom. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, delighted for you and for all the Italian oh, community. You know, in you know, you know what? Uh, there's another thing to, to be happy and celebrate here in Cork. What's that? It's a uh, rowing. Tell me more. You know the. There's uh, last weekend, 
there was the World Championship for Rowing under 33. Yes. Okay. And uh, Ireland was silver. Yes. Yes. Was silver. And we have uh, Cork guy rowing there. Gotcha. Gotcha. As a big things, big things. All right. Listen, and and brother. We of, know the guy and we are very, very happy for him and family. Excellent. All right. You Take know him very minutes. well. Okay. Andrea, well done to Italy and congratulations to you. And thanks for being with us this morning for a brief call. That's Andrea Bonatto from Casanova Gelato. Uh, there was half a Twitter changed its name to Italian over the last week, which I thought was completely daft. But look at the end of it all. They've won. Uh, 1850715996. Thank you, Andrea. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Morning, Killian. Morning, lads. What do you oh, do? I work for a bank down here, so... But hopefully we'll be walking out with two grand. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. My, <laughs> my friend's with a nice... Uh, uh, a, 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 a low-yielding bond, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Where, where, would you, where would you recommend you put two grand these days? Because Into my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at nodc.com. Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Great reminder to you. This time last year, we could have no music, no festivals, no live events, no gigs. They're coming back very slowly. And before the end of the show, you'll hear just how successfully one of them came back last Saturday night at Cork Opera House. We had a most wonderful, wonderful night out. Nowhere near normal just yet, but we're getting there. And it was a super night out, and I'll tell you more about it before we finish today. But in general, we still don't have a whole lot Uh, to uh, amuse us in terms of festivals and events and gigs. But to make up for that, Cork's 96FM exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival is here again, right across the summer, streaming the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Listen on the app or go to 96FM.ie. A lengthy note in... With regard to the Life Centre, which I will get to, uh, Katrina sent us in a note about the, the Life Centre and the latest news from there, which is unfortunate news. They said they'll keep going, and they will keep going. My goodness, they have gone through thick and thin and back again over the years for the kids they work with. But more disappointing news for uh, the Life Centre this morning, and Katrina's note I will get to before the end of the programme. But imagine the idea that you could save money, pay off all of your debts and be ready to retire at the age of 50. Sure, wouldn't we all love to do it? Um, That's, you know, it's a dream to be able to retire much, much younger 
than retirement age. Most of us around now, most people around you now and looking around me will work until they're 70 if they're able. Certainly they'll work until at least 65 or 66 before anything kicks in for them. But imagine being able to save and be so prudent with money that you could be ready to retire at 50 or slightly after it. And one would think you'd earn a, have to earn an absolute fortune to achieve that. Emer Farrell, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You cleared off 30 grand of debt and now you want to retire at 50. You must earn a small fortune, or do you? Oh, absolutely not. I, I really don't. I'm, you know, kind of a middle-of-the-road earner. Um, I do what I can to bring in a little extra outside of my, you know, my normal income. I work as a, a software tester, so okay. um, anything I can do to, to bring in a little extra all goes towards my, my goals of, of being able to hopefully retire a little earlier than planned. So... How did this all start? So what happened really, and it's strange, I work, I've been with the same company for a long, long time now and um, I'm lucky enough to have a, a company pension with them and every year they'd send out the details of the pension, you know, the things, the projected values, all that sort of good information and I would open it up, that's very nice, put it away, take no heed. It was something that for me was, you know, way in the future, I didn't need to worry about it or even or even look at it. Um, but in it arrived in at the end of the summer in 2019. And I just, for whatever reason, said I'd have a look at it. And I looked at the projected retirement date, well, not necessarily retirement, but the projected date where I could access that pension. And it was my birthday of 2048. And whatever way I was feeling or, or whatever was in me that day, I just said, no, that's that's too far away for me. That's 27 years from now. Exactly. Yeah. So it was almost 30 years from when I was looking at that date in black and white. And I just said, no, let's see what I can do to bring that forward. And, you know, for me at the time, it seems like an almost impossible task. And for a lot of us, it would seem impossible. I was somebody that had, you know, a nice amount of debt, like everybody, have the mortgage, have the car loans, the credit cards. And, you know, I like my fashion. I like buying things online, all those sorts of things. So I wasn't somebody that had, you know, a big, huge savings account that it looked like retirement was, you know, an easy thing to, to bring forward. And so I had to look at, well, what can I do to to bring that forward? And what steps do I need to put in place Mm -hmm. to make that happen? So what did you do? Where did you start? (laughs) So so the biggest thing that I started with was, and it is painful and it is hard, but it was definitely worth doing. I looked at the previous three months of my current account bank statements. So I... You know, I, I was fine. I wasn't going into any overdraft any month, but I also wasn't having any money left at the end of every month. So what I did was I went through line by line to see, well, where is my money going? I know roughly what's coming in. So, you know, therefore, I should know exactly where that's going mm. out. You know, we would all you have, like, you know what's coming in and would you have a certain set outlay every month that has to be taken care of? 
exactly. You know, so we all have our, our, our exact bills that are our needs and our necessities. But for me, when reviewing those statements, I was looking at far too many ones, so far too many things that weren't needs. And, and to be honest, quite a lot of waste as well in there. So I was looking at high supermarket costs and a lot of online transactions, a lot of Amazon, a lot of subscriptions that I wasn't using or not getting any value from. So it was a real eye opener to see exactly, well, where is my money going? And, and like what kind I of subscriptions were you not using really? Um, so there were some small ones. Um, there was some beauty box subscriptions and there was a, a music subscription I wasn't using and um, another Amazon Kindle subscription. And those things, you know, they, they may be, you know, needs to somebody and they may bring value, but they weren't bringing any value to me. Um, but then there were bigger things like the Sky TV. We, we always had Sky here because it's just kind of something you do. You, you get the TV package and... You know, you might watch it once every while, but for us, we kind of spend a lot of our time watching Netflix if we're at home. And so that that was one of the things that we said, look, you know, we can do without this, or at least we can see if we can do without it. Yeah. And, you know, from that saving, even just that one thing, it's, it's you know, roughly 70 euro a month, but over a year and then over two years and three years, and those, those um, savings, they really, really add up. Mm. Mm. And and yeah. are you disciplined, uh, you know, Emer? In that, right? You decided, well, I'm cutting that. So what did you do? Say it might be something simple, like a, a, say a seven ninety nine subscription to something that you decided you're doing away with. What did you do with that money then? So yeah, so exactly. It was even yeah, as small as those amounts. So what I did was any money that I was freeing up, it meant I had extra money at the time I had two credit cards with high balances on them. I had a personal loan and I had a car loan. So every saving that I was able to make in my monthly cost went towards, you know, attacking those balances and getting rid of, you know, one by one, the, each each loan, just bringing those down. So it was really satisfying for me that though it looked like I was, you know, cutting back a lot, my my lifestyle really didn't change because I wasn't getting rid of anything that really mattered to me. Yeah. And I was able to make a huge difference then by, by paying off those loans and putting my money just to much better use than right. I had been. So the eight ninety nine or the seven ninety nine or the twenty quid here went across the balance sheet into a debt. Exactly, exactly. So what I do is I do a monthly budget. So I look at, okay, well, I know what's coming in this month. So here are all the things that need to be paid. How much extra have I then got to to put towards those loans? And, Mm. you know, and and the other thing for me is that I knew I wouldn't be able to deprive myself. So, you know, I always make sure that I have money there so that, you know, we can go out for a meal or can go for (laughs) hopefully one day soon a, a couple of drinks or and, you know, mm. even put away money for a holiday. And, and I just make sure that I'm not depriving myself. We still have to live, you know, mm. though I, you know, really and There's do. no point in having money if you're living like a monk. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's about finding that balance as well. Just If you deprive yourself, it's a bit like a diet, you know, you deprive yourself and, and that's all you want then. So it's really hard to stick to it. It has to become a routine that kind of works for yeah. you and, yeah. Yeah. The the shopping 
is is for me, and this is speaking personally, Ymir, I could go down and decide, right, I'm going down to Aldi for bread and milk and a few bottles of water and whatever. And now I won't quite come back with a chainsaw, but you know yourself, <laughs> I, I, I will come down with an awful lot more than the four things I went for. That's Absolutely. the hardest thing to discipline yourself. It, it is. And it's something that I was really guilty of as well. So I, I beforehand, I would have, you know, unconsciously been wasting food and in turn, obviously, wasting money. Um, you know, I would be buying stuff without planning and, and then the food just goes to waste or, or you know, the, the tempting things in the middle aisle in these shops. Um, so what I do now and what I've done for the past, you know, two years at least is I meal plan. So I look at everything that I have at home. So if I've got, you know, meat in the freezer, or, you know, pastas and rices and all those things. So I'm conscious of what I have in the house. I make a meal plan based on what I have and then the, the bits that I need to buy, I put on a shopping list. Right. And um, as much as I can, I stick to that shopping list and stick to my, you know, my monthly grocery budget. So do you and know, Emer, uh, what is dinner this evening in your house and tomorrow yeah. and Wednesday? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I had a busy weekend, so it was a very... Late night meal planning last night, um, but yeah, I do. And and tonight we're celebrating Italy and having a nice spaghetti bowl. <laughs> right. So yeah, it is about planning ahead for the week. So it means. So there's not know, a, can, Is there ever an evening where you just open up the fridge and go, "What will we have today?" <laughs> no. So uh, there are times. Absolutely, there are times, and there might be times where I forget to take something out of the freezer yeah. to defrost. And, and do you ever and, go, Ah, damn it! I fancy a curry. Oh, I do. Oh, I do. <laughs> and so, what what I do to because I know that that I will be like that. I know that will come up throughout the month. So I set money aside so that we we do have takeaway money. So. You know, if there's that day where we're too wrecked to cook or, you know, there's a lot on, we know we won't have time, then the money's there to use to, to get the takeaway or the cheeky mm. McDonald's the odd time and those sorts yeah. of things. So you still, so you managed to knock off the debt. So yeah. now, so now are, you, are you, other than obviously a mortgage, or are you debt free now other than what you have to have? Absolutely, yeah. So at the moment, I'm what I would say consumer debt free. So still have the mortgage, and um, but everything else apart from my my needs um, is going towards the. You know, I have increased my amount that I put towards my pension each month, and also I have a few more and um, a, a lot more actually um, money going to investments each month. Right, right. Because yeah. you see, you still can't touch your actual pension until 2048 if I'm right so if you want to quit when you're 50 a long time before or a time before 2048 then you're going to have to have an income in between so how are you working that out? Exactly, exactly and that's exactly what it's about it's about building up a pot of money that I can access say you know when I'm 50 and then making sure that that's enough to last until my um, pension kicks in. So um, what what I have done is worked out, you know, as much as I know right now, what my expenses would be then, and multiply that by the number of years I need it for. 
So I have a figure that I need to work towards, and uh, I am not close to that right now. But mm. is, that a, is, that is that an eye-watering amount of money, or is it a, do you know, is it something that you prefer not to look at and just keep feeding into, or what? It's yeah, I suppose it, it's a lot of it will be also dependent on you know the growth of certain things. So I have to be conservative and you know say okay, well investments, I sound like terms and conditions here, but investments can go up as well as down, so we need to be prepared for those sorts of things, so um, it, it's conservative amount, but it is, it, it's it's what we will need to, to live on, plus having the luxuries and knowing that we'll have a lot more free time it's also, you know, what will we be doing with our time that might cost, you know, extra money we might have extra expenses, those yeah. sorts of things, Um. So it's really just about being clever with the money that I now have to grow yeah. and, uh, and, you know, finding the best way to do that. Now, what you've also done, I think, is that using your software background, you've generated business for yourself as well. You've developed stuff to sell. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, what I've done is I've created a meal plan. So it, it, it's what I was using myself for a long time and we're able to keep it in the kitchen and track down, you know, everything that you need for all your meals for throughout the week. Um, and then that also comes with a little handy shopping list. And then when I started to, you know, look at my finances, I had to create myself a whole load of little fancy Excel sheets just to, to keep myself, you know, conscious of where the money was going and, how the, the savings were adding up, all those sorts of things. Um, so when I kind of was comfortable with the format that I was using uh, myself, I created a series of um, planners and templates that people can download and use them to, you know, track their finances. Right. Um, and you, you sell know, that then? I sell that through Etsy, yeah. I just Etsy, have a, yeah, a, we've talked a small about Etsy, Etsy store. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's just bringing in a little extra. And, you know, I, I do a, a small number of other things, um, online surveys, those sorts of things, just to bring in a little extra income. Good, good. Carla here says she's some woman for, for one woman to be able to save. Every time I try to save extra, she retail therapy just calls me. And at least I'll be well-dressed while I'm still working and play retire. <laughs> There is the, like, do you ever, uh, Emer, do, do you ever just sit there and go, ah, ta, hell with it. I'm going on the lash. <laughs> so, you know, because, uh, because I do need to do that, do need the online shopping, do need the, on the lash of time, I, I do just plan for it. So, you know, I, I have fun money in my budget each month. So for those times where I, you know, do feel like, breaking out and buying, you know, clothes for whatever it might be. I, I, I know the money's there, so it, it's it's not that I'm saying, but oh, you know what, I'm not going to put extra into my pension this month. I'm going to buy clothes with that money instead. It's about planning the money that I have coming in and saying, okay, well, I'll put that aside because in case I want to break out, I'll have that money there. Okay. Okay. You reckon this is something that we could all do with a little bit of determination. You have a blog, One Foot in the Save. I love that. I did, yeah. One foot <laughs> yeah. in the I love that. I do love a pun as well. So. 
No, it's just one of my all-time favourite shows is One Foot ah. in the Grave. So I love one, one Foot in the Safe. Emer, good. And all that, I mean, the tips and tricks there. Emer, congratulations with it. And I, and I, I know you, you'll probably, you'll probably be, at this stage, you'll be retired by the middle of next year. Good on you. <laughs> Long before you're 50. Long before you're 50. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Lovely. Thank you, Thank Emer. You, Take thanks. care. Bye. And One Foot in the Safe is her blog. 1850-715-996. On the... Euros and the thuggery. John says, stop generalising. A small minority are causing trouble. There's a big population in England. And John, you're not wrong at all. You're not wrong at all at all. But it was a small minority that caused a lot of very nasty trouble. It was, yes, it's a small minority of the population, but it seems to be, and I'm going to be careful how I say this, it's a small minority of the population but it's not such a small minority of football fans. There's a lot of troublemakers out there wearing England shorts. <laughs> PJ, with your job, you could retire when you want to from John. Ah, uh, John. Ah, uh, John, if only you knew by. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. All year was Scarface released. You said 1983. Right answer is 1983, which means you've won 2,000 euros. Yeah. Yeah. You've done well, it, buddy. 9 out of 10, you gave us 1983 is the answer. Beyond the thuggery and on the fans and on the problems caused by thuggish fans in the UK, um, Kevin points to a tweet from our friends at TalkSport, our colleagues at TalkSport, Adrian Durham there, has tweeted about the fans' aggression and violence outside Wembley. The drug culture among England fans is way bigger and far more damaging than most people realise. It's hardly ever talked about, but it's huge. Yes, he says, there is alcohol, but I don't think that's the biggest contributor. There was a few videos going around yesterday afternoon of fellas doing utterly stupid things uh, before the match. One guy standing up very tall with pretty much everything the Lord gave him hanging out for the world to see. Now, the Lord didn't give him much. (laughs) That's the problem. But you kind of wonder, yeah, is it just drink that makes you do that? Or is it something else entirely? 1850-715-996. I'm going to read this now, Fergal, the, the, the message we got from the Life Centre, about the Life Centre. So, you know, we spoke to Don O'Leary just after 10 o'clock. The issues in the Life Centre are that the money that was put on the table earlier this year and the 12 teaching posts that were put on the table, they have hit a hurdle because now the Department of Education want the Life Centre to hire effectively outsiders rather than what Don and the staff, the directors, want to do is to make certain the futures of his core staff, 10 to 12 people who've been there for years, 
teaching and mentoring and guiding these wonderful young people. He wants to make them straight, to give them proper jobs, if you, as it were, and proper wages. And there they were with 12 jobs, 12 teaching posts. And he thought, right, well, let's fit you in there and you in there and you in there. Uh-uh, not going to work like that, says uh, the department. We need you to hire these people, those people over there. And he's saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not happening, lads. That's not on. That's a red line for us. And he explained the whole thing just uh, after 10 on the opinion line. Uh, Katrina was on saying, I'm truly saddened listening to Donna Leary's interview. A man who has given blood, sweat and tears to bring hope and joy to students and families in a way no other has or none other can do. Don, Rachel, Thomas and the staff and the board have the recipe right. They've created a unique and successful educational system that has proven year in, year out. The Life Centre simply works. It's an amazing success story and one that Cork people are so proud of and firmly behind. To hear Don appealing for his staff to stay the same can't fall on deaf or stupid ears. Don and the staff have perfected this recipe and they know exactly what's needed and what's not. The beautiful, magical children that Don talks about are in his heart and the hearts of all the staff and the board. The Life Centre is the beating heart of education in Cork. It leaves no child standing outside the fire. The department has to do right by the Life Centre. It is needed and loved the way it is. Don is right trying to protect his invaluable and outstanding centre of excellence. Seeing a child learn is heartwarming. Seeing a child learn and smile is priceless. Love and gratitude to all at the Life Centre. And that's a lovely message from Katrina. And Katrina, there are many messages like that coming in. Uh, Someone is suggesting that what they want to do is mainstream it, which would be going completely against the ethos of the Life Centre because the Life Centre is there. As I speak as someone who spent many a day up there, meeting people, talking to people, meeting the kids, talking to the kids, and the the, the Life Centre is the very anathema of mainstreaming. Because when mainstreaming doesn't work, and for many people it doesn't, there's the Life Centre. That's its holy thus. And one we will, we have followed it from day one. I remember the first time I ever took a call on this programme from Don O'Leary. They were desperate for money. They were absolutely desperate for money just to keep the doors open and the lights on. They got it. They got sorted. And year in, year out, They've continued to drive, continue to strive, continue to grow and develop. Here they are again, back at square one, as it were. They'll always have the support of this programme. 1850-715-996. Come here, did you know that a, a kitchen island might devalue your house? What? Yes, apparently there are boffins and experts who say that things like kitchen islands and some of the fashions like fashionable tiles can actually devalue your house. Really? Talk about that next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. So there was a survey we read in the the mail a couple of weeks ago um, where some of these 
uh, experts on you know buying and selling of houses. It was uh, a webuyanyhouse.co.uk is one of the websites had had come up with things that are not good, shall we say, are not helpful when you are trying to resell your house. Like freestanding baths are one of them. You know those big, they look fabulous, right? My, I'd be afraid of my life to get into one of them in case it fall over inside in it. But that's, those uh, do not apparently add value. A home gym doesn't add value because obviously the person coming in after you but might, want, might not want a home gym and the room is quite small. Those bifold doors, they're fabulous. As an engineering job, they're very hard to put in, but they're brilliant. But... If they're not well installed, they can be a, a long-term money pit. Other things, log burners, ceramic statement tiles. Um, we had them, we put in a, a new downstairs loo uh, last year and we put these things on the floor and I, I tend to call them epilepsy tiles, but herself loves them and you get used to them. They're apparently not great for long-term value. Kitchen islands, I love me kitchen island, but they're not great either. You wouldn't know why, but I don't know. Anyway, let us go to uh, Donnerail to Townhouse Interiors and Myra Royal. Myra, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. All those things <laughs> that people love and the experts are saying it's not great to to try and sell your house with those things in them. Now, the freestanding bath, I must say, I don't like. Obviously, it might not. Ah, oh, PJ, you look wonderful in a freestanding bath. Fall over with me in it. <laughs> I think um, everything is down to a personal taste. No two people agree on colour or design. So if you intend on selling your house in a couple of years to come, of course, it has to be considered that the next um, person that might buy mightn't have your taste. But I think while you're living in the house, decorated according to your personal taste. Mm. Um, with, with Kitchen Islands, I do understand um, people's predicaments. They're being possibly placed in kitchens that mightn't be the correct sizing. Um, A butcher block would be super in a smaller kitchen if you want that extra chopping section. With the freestanding bats, just getting back to them, they're stunning to look at, but Mm. very, very difficult to clean. If they're mounted towards a wall, you can imagine trying to get in around it to clean. Mm. So they become obstacles or hurdles in rooms. And I believe the plumbing is a nightmare as well. Absolutely. Now, I know a a very good listener of yours and a good client of mine is after um, placing one in her bay window in a bedroom. And do you know what? She is a lady of leading um, design um, preferences and... Do you know what? It looks absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's your personal choice, but for plumbing, you can't just say when a house is built or when there's their first and second fix in a new house to say, oh, I'd like a free standing bath in the centre of a room. You have to, you have, you have to build for it. it up and replumbed, so it's quite costly. Yeah, yeah. Um, different types of baths you have, obviously, is cast iron, you have um, stone types. Cast iron is super for retaining heat. Some of the bats, they get cold very, very quickly. Yeah. So glamour goes out the window when you're shivering inside your true, it's true. And <laughs> we're all into our outdoor, indoor living. And of course, in a pandemic world, we're told bring the outside in as much as you mm. can. And again, they look stunning. But I imagine those bifold doors can be a, night- a nightmare if they're not put in right. I totally agree with you. You need a good professional carpenter. Thankfully, in North Cork and County Cork and Munster, we're um, blown over with talented craftsmen. Mm. 
But they're pretty busy at the moment. Um, bifold doors um, and pocket doors. Pocket doors are stunning. Mm. Um, they just recede into each side of an entrance going into your dining room or your kitchen. Yeah. But again, that takes up more room because you have to have the sliding pocket door feeding yeah. into a recess that yeah. has to be built. So all of these fads, fashions, or designer um, positives, because if you don't have the room to, to swing a door to, because of a couch, um, decisions like that are crucial at building stage. If your house is already built, just stand back and admire what you have already. There's no need to put absolutely everything yeah. into a house because it's in fashion. And I know what's trending at the moment, or as we call it, the design pendulum has swung towards maximalism. And that is, uh, how will I describe it? It's like Victoriana design. Putting stuff in, yeah. Oh, I've yeah. seen some pictures oh. online. And the one thing I said, that's a beautiful room, but it's far too busy. Yeah, but it's not, it's not about enhancing your room. It's more not suffocating it. Um, I think if it's something you love as well, please rock on with it. it it's examples of it would be floor to ceiling, panelling on one wall, very rich decadent colours like Inchira from Farrow and Ball, Denim's, uh, Studio Green, botanical wallpapers, large um, prints on your flooring, um, Flowers, yeah. um, as I said. See, I love plain, you see. You love plain. So, well, I have a cafe. The cafe that I have in Donrel is maximal to the hilt. It's antique, upcycled antique furniture. It's decadent fabrics and wallpaper. But I think that that's lovely to visit, um, get enthralled for an hour or two and enjoy. My own home is very much... I, I won't say minimalistic, because that sounds quite boring. It's actually light, very soft colours. Um, mm. It's decorated 20 years, so I must have succeeded yeah. um, doing a quick scheme that I haven't changed. Yeah. But a lot to do with sorbet colours. Oh, they're nice, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. When you leave... I, 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 I suppose uh, the key question, Myra, would be, if you're in a house and you kind of know that this isn't your forever house, what should you not do? Well, at present, I think if you're lucky enough to have a roof over your head, whether it's an apartment or a home, please do enjoy every night that you're inside in your home. And I would suggest, um, if you like the maximalist designs, possibly if you're moving forward into a different house in time, maybe not put it into permanent structures like your flooring. Paint colours can change, but when you're actually trying to sell your house... um, a painter could be very difficult to get. And as I know from very good co- uh, friends of mine that are estate agents, I've often been called in to derobe a house or make it more, um, I suppose, more uh, plainer. Strip it back for sale. Yeah, exactly, to enhance the sale. And that would be making everything quite plain. But again, we could be hired next week and have a couple on our books for show houses. And my goodness, in show houses, you put everything in that actually attracts the buyer there and then. So it's the opposite to selling a second-hand house. But I think with the flooring that's out at the moment, beautiful parquet flooring, herringbone, chevron, the lovely Spanish tiles, maybe put them into a a smaller bathroom, especially the tiles. The chevron and the parquet floor, if you have the budget to put them in, please do into your hallway or into your sitting room as well. Don't have too much of anything. Try and keep to one or two elements in your house. 
same flooring, maybe in two or three rooms. Yeah. That will, that's a job, that's expense le- less for the next person that have, <clears throat> excuse me, the honour of buying your home. Because they may not have your taste and, and the less hmm. they have to rip up and redo, the uh, more likely they are to buy the house. Whereas you can actually still bring your pot plant under your arm, you can still bring your sofas with you. So. Um, but anything underfoot that's more permanent, just think of a little bit more, um, I suppose play to all audiences maybe. But as I said, don't ever put yourself into a very plain, boring box for the next few years. Still have your own um, your own style. Okay. Still have your own style. All right. All right. Listen, I suppose fashion changes from, from week to week and month to month and year to, and year to year. Your own taste is your own taste. Thank you, Myra. Good to talk with you. That's Myra Royal from Townhouse in, Interiors in Donnerail. I love my big island. Uh, and it's not going anywhere. But yeah, we've got a big back of the house because we knocked a kitchen and a dining room in together at the back of the house. The whole back of the house now is one big, massive kitchen. There's a big island inside in it. But no, it's not that posh. It's just nice. Advice there from Myra. On what you're, just be careful what you do if you're going to be selling the house because the person coming in to buy it will want to change it. I know when we were trying to buy our house, the house we live in now, every time she walked in the front door, and I was as bad, walked in the front door of the place, she was already redesigning it. So you're going to walk into a place and I'm going to do that and do that and do that. Just be careful of how much you put in because someone might not buy it off you if there's too much work for them to do. 1850 715 There was a wonderful night at the Opera House on Saturday night. A wonderful, wonderful night. And I had the opportunity to be there. And it was one of these events to prepare for when we can go back because we can go back soon we hopefully can go back to normal soon but this was one of the pilot events put on to prepare for when we might go back and our own Elmery Ma wrote a beautiful Facebook post yesterday just to tee us up for it and she talked about the moment before the curtain goes up the home in the auditorium seeing friends a few seats over a historic evening because people got for example emails to tell them when to turn up there was a queue down Emmett Place around the corner there were digital tickets following the rules, everyone had a mask on there was no pre-show drinks it was just straight into the auditorium, sitting around the auditorium was only a third full but everyone was spread out, walk on the right stickers all over the uh, opera house just so people wouldn't fall over one another as it were Rows of seats cordoned off and then everyone has about at least a meter around them at all times and everybody's sitting in pods. It sounds all wrong, but it wasn't. It was really, really good. Hi, good evening. Can I take your name, please? PJ Coogan. Hi, PJ. Could I have your mobile number because I'm just we just need it for contact tracing if you don't mind. I'm with Eileen Gleason, CEO of the Opera House. It's been a long time. It has indeed, PJ. This is our first live performance in 466 days. People are so excited. It's unbelievable to think that we can all get together and have this collective experience. And we feel very, actually very privileged to be able to present it. How did it come about? How did you get onto this pilot scheme? 
We were approached by the Arts Council and the Department, um, the Department of Arts in relation to this, and I think they identified Cork Opera House as you know, a key venue in Ireland, first of all, and a key venue of where people were, who were responsible for mass gatherings. So I think we ticked a number of boxes um, in their sites about what we could deliver, um, and they approached us with this idea of joining forces with Irish National Opera to present tonight's event. And you know we were we bit their hand off. You know it's a really important part of our reopening and the results of tonight's performance and the experience that our patrons have will feed into an overall assessment of how our business will reopen and how the industry will survive going forward. Now I noticed there's no testing going on. That wasn't a designated part of this event. No, indeed it wasn't. However, there's still some really really relevant data being collected, mm. and all of that data will feed into the overall plan. Who should I meet at the interval but Karen Underwood? Karen, the sound of applause. I, for one, was trembling. It resonated with me of times before and a blessing of what it is to have it back. You know, sometimes when you lose something and then you get it back, you appreciate it even all the more. We thought it was gone. We didn't know when it would come back. How much have we missed this? Well, I mean, let's just say it's like the blood was sucked out of me for two years nearly. And now somehow I'm getting like this transfusion again. And I can, I can move again. I can feel again. I mean, this is an example right here in the Cork Opera House of what we can do. And you can watch a hundred online gigs. There's nothing like There's that. Nothing like it. Another side of the interval area here in the Opera House. I meet my old friend Eilish O'Carroll from Mrs. Brown's Boys. Eilish, you came all the way from Dublin for this. I did, I did. And, and I'm so glad I did. Oh my God, it is fantastic. As a performer yourself, Eilish, yeah. the joy of being back inside a theatre again. I can't describe the words, even though I'm sitting down watching it. It's uh, that lovely feeling. And I'm, it's social distancing, and I thought that might have kind of lessen it a little bit, the, you know, the, the enjoyment of it. But we're making as much noise in there as a full house. So, um, yeah, it is lovely to be back in a theatre, whether it's on stage or sitting down. Angela Newman here half-time. Isn't it so good to be back at a show? Oh, it's absolutely amazing. It's so emotional. Um, I was actually weeping my way through the first half. It's just an incredible experience to be in a theatre with other people, with live performances, the emotion in the room, and the vibe in here is amazing tonight. It's, so it's, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, there's only a third of an audience, and it's like it was a full house. We have so much more left to do, but we're we're getting there. Oh, it's a step in the right direction, and I could it couldn't come fast enough for me. I'm buzzing. I can't wait to get on the stage myself. But this is a brilliant start. What a fantastic beginning to something. Hopefully, that will keep building now over the next few months.
I've met Connor and then Marie from the 96 of M Arts House. We're here with the arts community, PJ. So we are. We're all enjoying our night. We actually can't believe we're here. Yeah. I couldn't get over the giddiness in the queue on the way in, which was amazing. Looking around despite all the masks, yes. recognizing people you'd know from concert after concert, and then, like literally, this is at the end. We're standing in the foyer afterwards. Every single emotion. I had a lump in my throat for half the night. It was just so moving, so exciting to hear the music in the house it should be heard in. So wonderful to see our friends who have been singing to us from their bedrooms and from God only knows where online. To see the staff and crew all around the Cork Opera House here who practically turned the Opera House into a television studio in lockdown so they could keep streaming stuff to us and know that, you know, everyone was back doing what they should be doing. It's just... It's it's marvellous, isn't it, Connor? We're getting there. We're so close to getting there. Absolutely. But be patient, okay? And when the opportunity arrives, like it did tonight, I'm on a date. And and it was all about romance tonight in the Opera House. And our love affair with the arts continues. Yeah, and Cork has that special love affair with the arts, which is why there was so much joy in the house tonight. There really was. You know, even talking to anybody, whether they were wearing masks or not, you could tell everyone was smiling. You know, the beams, I'd say people have a little bit of a pain in their face from smiling sometimes for some of it. You know, it was just pure joy, literally joy from start to finish. How privileged we are to have been part of a test like this. So it's all died down, the applause has faded away and I'm back in the dressing room with Magella Culler. How did that feel? Oh my God, it was absolutely extraordinary. I'm still trembling because it was so moving and so exciting. It was amazing to have a live audience again in front of us, so wonderful. I think we got a sense, even in the opening strains, of just how much we have missed this. How much does it mean as a performer? to be back doing what you love the most? Well, it, sort of in the middle of, I don't know, some aria or some duet that I was singing tonight, I, I just got a sense of this is where I'm supposed to be and this is what I'm meant to do. And the thing is, Peter, you, you spend years and years and years training um, technique, style, uh, and working on your art, trying to be the best artist you possibly can. But without an audience, it doesn't mean anything. There you go. That's Magella Colour. That's it for today. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream.